0: Thank you guys for having us once again. It's such a joy uh, to reconnect and to see how God's working among us. Um, I think that every time we gather like this, it's it's a unique opportunity because it, it forces us out of our normal Sunday routines, you know. It, it forces us out of our normal, um, even social bubble that our church creates, whichever church you go to, we have our routines, we have our social, you know, expectations and norms and Um, It it forces us to see a bigger work going on around us, and I think that's really encouraging. Um, It it forces us to reflect and to see that God is working in ways that we're not always aware of. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, We've been studying with our church the Gospel of Mark, and it has been such a huge, uh, kind of exciting journey to... For me, even personally, um, it was the, it's the first time that I'm working my way through a gospel narrative. And it's so exciting to peel back the layers and to discover Jesus all over again. And as Jesus is speaking, he's constantly challenging the expectations of the people that he's talking to. He's also, all, constantly challenging the expectations of what they expect from God and from his kingdom uh, around them in their own lives and in the world around them. So open your Bibles, please, to Mark Uh, chapter 4, verse 21, and we're going to read through this classic little section of parables that Mark gives us kind of a a, a snippet, a bite-sized version of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. And in this kind of maybe unique Sunday situation where we are more aware, perhaps, of the reality of God's kingdom working around us, not just in our own personal lives, it's also an opportunity for us to pause and kind of take a step back and ask ourselves, Uh, What do we expect of God's kingdom? Uh, How do we define it? And how how do we see it working around us? And how does our expectation kind of meet up or contrast with what Jesus is trying to tell us and how Jesus pictures the kingdom of God working in the world around us? So open, like I said, Mark chapter 4, verse 21, and we'll read, read through verse 34. And he said to them, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears let him hear and he said to them pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you for the one who has more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is like if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the, ri- when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it grows, yet when it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in it in its shade with many such parables he spoke to them the word as they were able to hear it he did not speak to them without parables but privately to his own disciples he explained everything so like i said over the past few months we've been kind of digging up jesus vision of the kingdom jesus vision of what who is the messiah who is the king coming into the world and just like us today we have certain expectations from God. The Jews of Jesus' day had expectations. Um, they were awaiting some sort of deliverer. They were, they were awaiting some sort of victory. They were awaiting God. They, they had it partially right. They, like many of us, looked at the world and knew that the world was broken, that there was something wrong with the world. But also, the world is beautiful and glorious and created by God and meant for something much bigger they, like many of us, were looking around and awaiting for God to do something, to work. So in their specific context, they were awaiting a Savior, a Messiah who was going to come in, many of them thinking kind of in a military conquest and take out the Romans, take out the oppressive governments that were um, harassing God's people. And they were expecting God's kingdom to come back like it was before in the times of David. But, but the people of his day lived in a sense of expectation. Their entire religion, their entire Jewish customs and celebrations were around that sense of expectation. But that sense of expectation is not just a Jewish thing. Obviously, it's a human thing. We deal with a messed up and broken world every day, inside ourselves and outside ourselves, right? And we expect, we live with expectations, most of us professing Christians, following jesus every day we live with an expectation that god is doing something in my life um, that god is going to do something with the world that there is some way that it's all going to come together to make it worth it but as they were expecting and their expectations were partially right jesus comes and he as he specifically speaks into these issues he is trying to challenge the misconceptions that those people had about how exactly is this kingdom going to feel? How exactly is God, the rightful king of the universe, going to take back his world? You know, we, we know we live in a world created by God. We know that every breath is a gift. We know that everything here is gift, and it's, it's alone, technically. Our bodies, our lives, right? And God is going to come back and make it right somehow. There is a need for the king to come back. There is a need for his kingdom to be established. But how is that going to feel? How how is it going to look when it happens? How are we going to know it's happening? And how are we properly supposed to situate ourselves to receive that kingdom? So, as we work through these parables, the three parables, the challenge here is to open up your heart and maybe... Below you know oftentimes we can we convict ourselves with trying to correct our behavior, but what Jesus is going at here is Deeper than behavior. He's he's trying to challenge expectation so The question that we want to pose to ourselves to our hearts as we're reading. This is what do I expect of God? What is my expectation of God's kingdom? What is my expectation of God? Working in the world around me. What is my expectation of God working in my own life? And how do these expectations connect to what Jesus is saying? So the first thing he says is that the kingdom is like an exposing lamp, right? He says that, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And then he says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Really quickly, when we read this, this simple word picture that he's showing us, I think many of us probably will mix it with another time when Jesus says um, that we are the lamp that is supposed to be put up in the room and we are the light of the world and that we are supposed to be living for this kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming into the world and we as his kingdom people need to make sure that we're living in such a way as to not hide the light that's inside of us but to be shining the light in the world. But notice that that's, that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. The emphasis that Jesus is trying to make here is on the act of hearing. He says, when you bring a lamp into a room, you don't hide it. You put it on a pedestal so that it shines. And then he says, so, therefore, be careful how you are listening to what I am telling you. The act of hearing is is connected to the act of bringing in the lamp. And the lamp is not you, it's not me shining to the world. The lamp here is Jesus himself and his message of the kingdom. And he is saying, as I am standing here talking to you about the kingdom, watch your hearts. What is your way of receiving this word? The emphasis is on hearing. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest and anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus is saying that I am bringing in a message. I am bringing in a kingdom. I'm bringing in a truth that is like an exposing light. It is here to expose. And and this light, it exposes the hearts of the people listening. And notice it's very interesting how when he talks about um, what is hidden except to be made manifest and anything secret except to come to light... What is this hidden thing that he's talking about? Well, in a way, he's talking about two different things. First of all, he, he's talking about in a sense that his parables are a kind of a mystery, right? So a parable is, is a cool analogy, but if you don't know what it means, it's kind of a meaningless statement. Like, you know, when he told the disciples about, you know, a sower went out, and that's actually in the previous context, a sower went out to put seeds out, and different seeds land in different places and there was different results. And the disciples are like, "Well, that's kind of cool, but like what does it mean?" So the point here is that that Jesus is saying that when Jesus is speaking to these people in parables, he's speaking in sort of in riddles. He's speaking to them in things that are not clear-cut. And there's two ways that you can respond, right? And his audience responds in two different ways. Exhibit A is The average crowd that followed Jesus, if you read Mark, the crowd, it's this average crowd, these people who are generally interested in Jesus, generally interested in his message, uh, but they're in it for the miracles, the free food, the show, the hype. So the average listener is listening to these parables and saying, hmm, that's really interesting, a light coming in like God's light, cool, whatever. When's the next miracle happening? So so the parables go in one ear and out the other in a sense. It's a hidden truth Listener number two responds differently listener number two says, okay, jesus But what does it mean? Can you explain to me because I don't understand I need you to explain to me And that's the second type of listener that jesus is shooting for now If you follow down later in the text, that's exactly what it says. He did he spoke with parables to the general crowd but to his disciples He explained. He gave light because his disciples were the ones who stuck around when the crowd was gone and they wanted to hear more. They wanted to understand. They knew, Jesus, I don't understand. I'm missing something here. I need you to teach me. So in this way of preaching, he is like that lamp because he comes in with his message and his message being hidden exposes their hearts. It exposes the people who are just there for the show and don't actually care about what they're listening. And they leave church and they don't remember what was said and nothing happens in their heart. And then there's the second type who are listening and saying, dang, this convicts me, this challenges me. I need more. Well, what do you you mean by that? How can I live that out? How do I understand it? The kingdom of God is an exposing light. It exposes our hearts and even the people Who are left in the darkness are exposed Because they are shown to be not real disciples So that's what Jesus says The most important thing is how you are listening The most important thing is the condition of your heart As you are receiving this kingdom Are you in a posture of humility, submission Awareness that your heart is darkened Your heart is in need of the light Your your heart is beset by sins Even if you are a follower of Christ Even if he has given you new life You have the daily challenge of countering the effects of sinful habits, sinful thoughts, sinful tendencies that have been really deeply ingrained in your heart for a long time. We are all in need of the light of the kingdom to come into our heart before we can ever be a light of the kingdom to the world around us. So many people followed Jesus, but real kingdom people were the ones who knew they needed light. Real kingdom people were the ones who were not there just for the show. They were aware of their deep need for His transforming work in their hearts. And that's the posture of kingdom people, first of all, right? We understand that all brokenness in this world you, you can't expect God to be doing things in the world around you if you don't expect God to be doing things inside your own heart. Because all brokenness, all darkness, all sin that fills this world it starts right in our hearts and as jesus comes and he announces the kingdom of god is here he's not coming in with horses and soldiers and burning down roman bridges he is starting with the very foundation of all darkness and that's the heart he's he's coming to expose he's coming to say your heart is darkened you need light you need to stick around you need to ask more questions So real transformation, the full transformation of the cosmos, of God's kingdom coming into the broken world, starts with the heart, starts with the darkness of the heart. So the kingdom of God is not triumphalistic. It's not this grand neon lights and big music. It actually starts with making us uncomfortable. It exposes us. It shows us that we need something. We need more. We need correction. We need guidance from the king. Second of all, he says that the kingdom is like a growing seed. Verse 26, he says, The kingdom of God is like as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. And he knows not how. The earth by itself produces the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts It to the sickle because the harvest has come. When we look at this picture of this diligent farmer, which is actually a common picture that Jesus used, we see that there's two sides to the story of the farmer, right? There's the side that the farmer must be diligent and he must work his land, he must take care of it, he must water it, he must sow, he must plow, he must work hard. And all of us driving here, many of us drove past scenes like this one right we live in a farm country so there's that first side of the farmer must be diligent and must work hard right but there's the second side where the farmer knows that he is totally powerless at the end of the day you can do everything right but the farmer is not the one who causes growth the transformation of a seed into a full plant and fruit right he knows that in one terrible storm, all of a year's work can disappear. So the farmer is, at, 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 on, first of all, he is really responsible and really everything depends on him. But on the other hand, the farmer knows that he is not in control. So the second point is what Jesus is stressing here. Notice what he says. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts. He knows not how. The earth by itself produces the blade, the ear, and the full grain. I love how Jesus is stressing, like, we do all this work, but notice in the reality of all farm life, which these people who are listening to him were common people. This was a common thing from their everyday life. He's, he's showing in, in the most foundational thing that we do, there is no power that the farmer has, and he doesn't even know how it works. He doesn't know how a seed falls into the ground and it, it, with water and oxygen and sun. It's transformed and it grows and turns into something completely different. The farmer has no idea and he has no power and no, no control over that, that process. So, again, as he is applying the picture of this farmer to the kingdom of God, he is cutting against the grain of his listeners' expectations. He is going against what they expect. They expect a kingdom to be grand. Royal, powerful, and bring sweeping change. They expected the Davidic king to come to institute his throne and to banish the Romans. They expected God in massive, big ways. Visible ways, palpable ways that no one can ever stop. And again, we can't be too critical of the Jewish people of his time because... The false expectation of God's kingdom is a human problem. It's not a Jewish problem. I think when we look at basic uh, American evangelicalism, we can see that our Christianity that we see in in the world around us is often beset by even worse uh, assumptions and presuppositions about God's kingdom. First of all, we like to think of ourselves as builders of God's kingdom. We like to think of ourselves as the ones who inaugurate change in the world Um, we have a history of Christianity and Christian thinking in the philosophy of our country so to many people the idea of building God's kingdom is really intermingled with building political empires we want to see God proclaimed in all the visible corners of society so so very often we maybe we don't even say that specifically that we are the ones who build God's kingdom but We have this assumed posture that that, that we are very important and very strong and very powerful for the kingdom of God to be advancing in the world around us. It depends on us. It depends on our strength and our activity, and we need to go out and build. We need to advocate. We need to speak. We need to stand up for the truth. None of those things are false in and of themselves. But the deeper assumption that we are the builders, we are the ones who bring in God's kingdom. That's the assumption that Jesus is challenging today. Second of all, we like, to, we like to think that God's kingdom around us in American Christianity comes with sweeping change. So a successful church is a church that has many, many converts and, and a booming church. Uh, we're kind of on the tail end of the mega church uh, Christianity thing. But it's still alive and well all around us where we expect this grand And grandiose expression of Christianity. We want to come on Sunday. We want to be just hit with emotional experience. And we want to see big buildings and big numbers and big budgets. Those are all signs, uh, oftentimes in American Christianity, of kingdom success. But Jesus challenges these assumptions. He says, first of all, no, you have no power. The sower sows and he doesn't even know how it works. He goes to sleep and he wakes up and he goes to sleep and he wakes up. He lives his life. The process is working. The power for change is totally outside of you. The power for change is built into the message that God has entrusted us with. But we scatter the message like a seed, and it works in ways that we are not even aware of. And most of the time, actually, when when God's kingdom, it's a little, little New Testament theology side note for us, Almost every single time that Jesus talks about the kingdom in the New Testament, he does not talk about it in active terms, he talks about it in passive terms. So he, doesn't, he never says, you must build the kingdom. He always says, you must receive the kingdom. You must see the kingdom, understand the kingdom, submit to the kingdom. God is working in the world outside of our control, outside of our power. And is not here to raise a campaign to start a Kickstarter to to get our support so that then the kingdom of God can go forth. The kingdom, Jesus says, is working in the world, whether you know it or not. Second of all, he shows that the kingdom comes in very ordinary terms, in, in very ordinary and unimpressive, and it takes time, and it's easily missed, just like a seed that sprouts very slowly over seasons, over time. And if you're not watching for a very long time, if you're not present, you can easily miss the fact that it's even there. And I think as, as we look at Jesus' picture here, we're like, well, you know, doesn't that, doesn't, aren't I significant to God's story? Aren't I a significant player in God's kingdom? Isn't it really important for me to be part of God's kingdom? Doesn't, doesn't this picture of the sower make us less confident? Aren't, doesn't Jesus want us to be confident as we're proclaiming the gospel and doing good deeds in society? Doesn't it make us less confident when we can't see results? Shouldn't we expect results? Shouldn't we expect God to do radical things around us? Well, we can ask that same question back to the farmer, back in the analogy, because it works pretty well. Does the farmer become less confident in his work because he doesn't see fruit the next day after he put the seeds into the ground? The farmer does not. Why? Because the farmer has a deep confidence and understanding of the fact that there is a process at work. He understands that life is embedded in the seed that he has tossed, and now he has peace to go about his daily life because he knows that there's a bigger thing happening than he even understands. So the farmer sows and keeps on going, sows and keeps on going. So Jesus didn't come to raise support, he came to pro- proclaim a fact. He said, God's kingdom is, uh, has arrived. That God has arrived in me, the king, in Jesus, the king. And he is here to take back his kingdom. He is here to, to redeem sinful human beings out of rebellion and make them his people. That God has arrived and that God is doing that. Now, you people, he says, need to learn to listen carefully and look carefully and set your expectations in a way so that you can see This kingdom as it is working around you God is working through our ordinary daily efforts So he's trying to adjust the expectation and only when we see that Can we be real kingdom people who serve and live and love and give and not demand anything in return? Not because we don't want to see results. We don't want to see God transform the world we do but we already know he's doing it. And we understand that just because I can't see it doesn't mean he's not doing it. So what Jesus wants us to do as as we see this picture is to anchor our confidence down to something deeper, a deeper expectation. So when we talk about our expectations, does my daily life of following Jesus, um, serving in my church, loving people, serving my community, telling people about Jesus, confronting my own sin does that daily process do, do I expect unexpected things do I, do I expect a sense of mystery do I live in a sense of mystery that Lord this day is from you you are working way more than I know you are working in this world to redeem it lead me today teach me today help me to understand how you want to use me today do we have a deep confidence in God's work that allows us to serve and love people and when we don't see results, to just keep going? Do we have that confidence in God's kingdom? Do we see it through Jesus' eyes that through every, um, every act, every seed, every prayer, every act of love, every relationship, every long-term struggle that we're dealing with in our lives, that God's kingdom is being sown. That God's ging- kingdom is being spread in a way that I don't even know. Do we live with a set of mystery? And I think that's, that's a big one because oftentimes you know, our, our cultural context conditions us to, to be able to explain everything. I gotta explain everything. I gotta have predictions and I gotta have backup plans and backup budgets to my... Everything I need to have a plan for my life. But that is not Plans are not bad. That's very good. But that is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is working in ways way bigger than you. When you look at your life, do you see yourself at the center of that life? Or do you see yourself as one little person in a vast, amazing story of God redeeming his world? And how does that shape your expectations of what is to come? And that brings us to the third analogy that Jesus makes here, is that the kingdom is like a tiny little mustard seed. So verse 30, he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God and what parable can we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown into the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it grows up, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So I did some digging as I was studying this and I realized that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world so does that mean jesus was mistaken no obviously not jesus in saying in 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 calling attention to the tininess of the mustard seed a mustard seed is about one to two millimeters in size he is trying to set up the radical contrast right between what is sown and what comes out at the end he's trying to help us See, first of all, how teeny and small and insignificant And easily missed and lost this little seed, this mustard seed is And and, and it's sown into the ground And it grows up big enough for birds to make nests in it And for other creatures to live in it And it's so different The result, the end result is so different than what was started And, And it's so easily missed in the beginning But then it becomes so undeniable, right? So What Jesus is trying to do is to again to call the contrast, but now instead of looking at the process of the slow growth of the seed He's trying to help us to see in, in in a linear fashion. What is the beginning and what is the end like right? When you look at a mustard seed there is no way There's no way that you can see just by looking at it what it will become There's absolutely no way Because the end result is so completely different than the beginning, right? And that's kind of what he's trying to say about the kingdom of God. He's saying what we see today, how it comes in your life, how God works, how God convicts your heart and calls you to serve him and love him, how God works in the community around you, how God is slowly but surely working in his world to bring back his kingdom is so completely different than how it's going to look so set your gaze on the result set your gaze on the end on the expectation the small beginning is so essential because it keeps you focused on the end result i think this is why um, it's so dangerous for churches to grow quickly because when we see Visible results. Oftentimes, we mingle that with God working, and we become so enamored with what is happening right here, right now. And this is it. This is how God is working. I am it. Our ministry, our church, our organization, whatever it is that that you are trying to serve God through. What Jesus is saying: Whatever's going on around you, expect small, and expect something completely, radically greater and more amazing. At the end result set your set your focus on the end result and let your daily motivation be faith not visible sight and results don't be fooled by what it looks like now let god determine your vision right and that's really important our vision of the end our vision of the end determines how we live our lives and again from for many people in american christianity in American culture in general right the end the, the climax the, the the peak wonderful new creation that we long for <clears throat> oftentimes is a comfortable retirement plan nice house stable income backup budget vacations stability safety like oftentimes in a practical sense we sure we believe in heaven and all that stuff sure but that's more like the book of Revelation you know, the end piece that's so confusing, nobody really reads it, so it's all good. Our practical daily vision of the end on our, in our week-to-week Monday through Friday routine, oftentimes the end towards which we are looking is completely not anything to do with the kingdom of God. And Jesus is confronting that, and he's saying, look around you, look how God is working, let that in your understanding, be like a little mustard seed and let your gaze be set on the end that God is working. That what is sown today, how you serve and follow Jesus and love him and proclaim his name, it is going to radically uproot and turn over the entire universe and God has a plan for a new creation. So what is the end towards which we long? Or oftentimes it's more connected to our churches. We want to see all these people come. We want to see more people come to Jesus and... We want to see our membership list grow. Those are all good things. <clears throat> but, if, but if that caps off the end vision that we long for, then we are, we are, we've put the kingdom of God into a teeny little box. What is the end goal? Well, let Jesus set your vision. Revelation 21. Earlier, um, we, were, we, were, we heard a mention of Revelation chapter 4, where all the, the elders and, and the, the kings before the throne of God cast their crowns before him. Revelation 21, John gives us a vision, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them. And he will be his, and they will be his people, and God himself will be to, with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So Jesus sets the vision. He says, like a tiny grain of mustard seed, little church in Ferndale, at the end of all things, new creation, new heavens, and new earth, redeemed people, made new, God, holy, present, in unity and love and glory. What is the expectation that we set our minds on when we serve and follow Jesus every day? The, grain, the tiny mustard seed analogy should set us with a deep-seated hope. It should put hope down into our bones, that, that, we, that we know God is working. That God is coming back and every single knee will bow. And here I am, part of that kingdom, a tiny little piece. I get to, I get to bear the light. I get to accept that light into my life. And I get to ask him for guidance every day. And, and, and I want to be part of that process of scattering seeds confidently, even though I don't see results right now because I know they're coming. I love the words of uh, a German pastor named Helmut Tillich who said this. He said, One day perhaps we will look back from God's throne on the last day and we shall say with amazement and surprise, if I had ever dreamed when I stood at the graves of my loved ones and everything seemed to be ended, if I have ever dreamed when I saw the specter of atomic war creeping up on us, if I ever dreamed when I faced the meaninglessness of fate, And an endless imprisonment or maligning disease. If I ever dreamed that God was only carrying out his design and plan through all these woes. That in the midst of my cares and troubles and despairs, his harvest was ripening. And that everything was pressing toward this last kingly day. If I had known this, I would have been more calm and confident. Yes, I would have been more cheerful and far more tranquil and composed. So, the kingdom co- comes with humble beginnings. It works in our ordinary lives and it leads to a glorious finish. And as we go back to our lives, that should infuse, that, that, that should not make it feel like ordinary life is meaningless, rather, the opposite, right? When we realize this, we, we understand that my life as a father or your life as a mother, uh, daily family struggles, life at work, life at school, Diapers, dirty dishes, neighbors, conversations with neighbors, evangelizing to lost family friends, praying for people who don't want to repent for a long time, all the rough and tumble of of a broken world, we realize that the kingdom of God is working through our lives. We realize that every single moment becomes sacred. Every single moment becomes an opportunity to, to be letting in his convicting light to be filled with that light and to be shining that light, to be spreading the seeds in faith, to be spreading the seeds, anticipating an amazing harvest. It fills every single moment, every single struggle with sin, every battle with frustration, anger, pride. It fills every single moment with meaning because you start to understand God is working so much bigger than I ever thought and he's working in this moment in a thousand ways that I didn't even know. And my short five-second conversation with my neighbor may have left a thought in his mind that I never knew that worked in such a big way and changed his heart. So, as we reflect on these words, uh, we want to once again ask ourselves, what is my expectation? As we're coming to prayer, as we're coming to um, open our hearts before God, what are my expectations? A daily life of humility and dependence on this exposing light, right? The kingdom of God is not us triumphing forward as perfect strong saints although we are strong and we are made perfect in christ but the posture that we adopt every single day is we we need light from jesus we need light because we are still weak we're still darkened and we need him every single day that life of making jesus known proclaiming him sowing seeds we need to have deep confidence you don't see the results that's okay god is at work this is his world he made it and he's taking it back and I don't see the results, but that's okay. And a hope that pushes us to love and to serve in every, everyday ordinary things. If you remember in that passage we just read, it says that in the new Jerusalem, the nations bring their glory to the new creation. So there's this mysterious connection between what we are doing here every day, our labors in Christ's name, whether that be going to work and building houses or building my family or going to school and studying submitting to my parents wherever you are everywhere that we are and God is working there is a mysterious way that God is going to use the things we do here in his name in the new creation it all matters do I have that hope? and at the end of and at the end of the day as Jesus is talking to his disciples you know he, he becomes the key Right, Everybody leaves, the crowds dissipate, the real disciples stick to Jesus. And the real disciples, because they stick to Jesus, they see this thing play out right there, right in front of them, right? Because Jesus, as that small mustard seed, is given up. He gives up his life. And in that moment when they thought everything's done, everything's lost, that, he, that, that the Romans have crucified our savior, that through the cross, through the resurrection, Christ bursts forth in victory in a way that they never anticipated, right? So, so as we're working these things into our hearts, the gospel itself, Jesus himself, he's the guide. He's the key. Coming to him, coming to his message every single day, washing our hearts in the story of the gospel gives us that humility, that confidence, and that hope that we're longing for. So what is our expectation of God's kingdom today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you humble us and you show us how little we are, Lord. That you crush our pride and self-confidence. And yet in that process, Lord, you elevate us so much higher than we ever imagined possible. That you destroy our own personal kingdoms, our own personal lives and dreams, only to resurrect it all in a A view of life that is so much more beautiful, amazing, enchanting, and exciting, Lord. We thank you that the power of the kingdom is yours, Lord, and that it's not up to us to build your kingdom. We thank you for Jesus who came into this world to call us to bow to the king, Lord. That today we have that invitation to know the king, to accept his kingdom, to bow to him, to surrender our lives to him, Lord. And I pray that you would be working that light of conviction, that you would be working by your kingdom message, Lord, in any heart that is darkened today, to expose it, to show it to be false, to show its need, Lord, in your saving message, Lord. I pray that you would be working as we scatter the seeds of the kingdom in our everyday lives, Lord. Help us to have that deep confidence in the reality of your work all around us, Lord, every time we look at the the world around us, the, the sunset or the sunrise, the weather, Lord, we see your glory, your beauty. We see the mark of your hand, that you are the one who owns this, Lord. Help us to have this hope, to see that you are making all things new, Lord. Help us to be rooted in this hope every single day, to see that you have called us to ordinary things, and that you are present in those ordinary things, to, to, to spread your kingdom, to work, to sow the seeds and to make eternal change happen Lord. We thank you for such a privilege. That we, can, that we can know your presence every single day, that you want to use us in the ordinary moments, Lord. We thank you for this amazing grace that even though we stumble and fail every day, in Jesus, you forgive and accept and build us up every single day, Lord. Thank you for the grace that you give us, Lord. And as we go back, as we work, as we labor, as we live, Lord, help us to have our expectations adjusted, to see your kingdom as it is working all around us in the world, Lord. Amen.